0: All right, so what comes next? Truth is restored in the order of importance. And there's a message in all of that. And and if I'm gaining a testimony of the restoration, if I'm gonna be rooted, I need to be rooted in that order. So what was restored first? Identity of Heavenly Father, the knowledge of God. What is it that we offer? What What is Caitlin taking to El Salvador? The main thing we're taking, she's gonna take priesthood ordinances, she's gonna take gift of the Holy Ghost, we've got additional scripture, but what is the main thing we can offer the world? Knowledge of who Heavenly Father is and that they are his children. That is the center of the restoration, Heavenly Father. Then comes the Book of Mormon, our primary source of truth, the restoration of truth. And so I need to be rooted in truth. I need to make, not make more of it or less of it. I need to be rooted in truth. And our primary source of truth are the scriptures that came forth in the restoration. Then we saw priesthood, keys. Now with those two, we can now have the next one. After the Book of Mormon was printed and made available... After the Aaronic and Melchizedek priesthoods were restored, what comes next? What is next? Now we organize the church of Jesus Christ. We have a church. The Savior came and organized a church in his day, and we have organized a church in our day. Now what is the main reason for the church? If we stripped everything else away, why do we have to have a church? A lot of people will say, I don't need a church. I don't need to belong to a church. There's billboards that say, want religion and not a church? Why? Why do we need a church? Why do we need a church? What does the church offer you? Okay, okay, but could I find belonging without a church? I could. In a family-centered, church-supported church supported I really should find belonging where? In a family. But I love what you're trying to say. But if we stripped everything else, what would we be missing if there were no formal organization of the church? Rachel? Those two. Do you see how they're connected? Without a church, what would be the source of our truth? <laughs> Without a church organization, you'd be left to your own personal interpretation. There are two lines of communication, right? There is a personal line and a priesthood line. Can everything come through the personal line? Did she choose her mission call? There are many things that have to come through a priesthood line just for the sake of order and consistency, right? What if every single person had to come to understand the plan of salvation for themselves? How would that go? I think there's three kingdoms of glory, I think there's four, I think there's five. And so for the sake of order in the kingdom, some things come through the priesthood line and some things come through the personal line. So the reason we have a church is to have a center truth. This is what's true, as revealed by God through his spokesman. And the church provides ordinances. You didn't baptize yourself, did you? And can I go baptize my son without the church's permission? I cannot. There has to be order in all things. So ordinances, priesthood keys, and truth. I
1: was just thinking about the like, Old Testament, and there were a lot of prophets who kind of lived off on their own and they were able to do a lot of the things, but one of the things that kind of stood out to me that they weren't able to do was build a temple yeah. and perform
0: ordinances. Yep, I can get revelation. Yeah. I can live in Hawaii. I can live all alone in an island in the sea and get personal revelation. But I'm never going to be in doubt. I'll never receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. I'll never be baptized. So what we need is an organization that kind of channels these two. Here is the source of truth. So the church takes very seriously what is taught. And here's why do we have manuals? Why do we have come follow me? Why does the church hand you a manual when they call you as a teacher? Because the main folks function of the church is to make sure everyone is taught the right doctrine. Truth and keys. Truth and priesthood authority and priesthood keys.
1: Um, I had explained to me in first Nephi 8 when Lehi is the tree of life and everything, uh, there's the rod of iron, which we all know, but a lot English would be great. Um, the rod of iron runs along the path and they explained it. The reason, the way we get on the path is baptism. Thus the path is church. And that's it. Like you were saying, it helps us continue along the path.
0: Yeah. For many people, the church is the means of finding and and understanding the rod. And so that relationship is significant. So turn with me to section 20 of the Doctrine and Covenants. We consider section 20 kind of the constitution of the church. And so we're going to organize the church based on an orderly process based on certain articles. You can break section 20 kind of into articles like the Constitution of the United States is broken into. For example, verse 1 has a fundamental article of the church. We only organize the church where? Article number 1, verse 1 of section 20. We only organize the church where? The laws of the country allow it. We will not sneak in the back door. Could we, have, could we walk into China through the back door and start preaching in China? Of course we could. Why won't we? That's a fundamental truth. We organize the church where the laws of the country allow it. So we're st- you see how this, this is kind of the Constitution? So then look at verse 2, verse 3. What is one major purpose of and blessing that comes from the church? Verses 2 and 3 the church provides a hierarchical keyholder, which we call a prophet. Without a church, there would not be a prophet. He is the key holder. And starting in verse 8 through the next several verses, what else does the church do? So we've got key holders, we've got priesthood and keys and ordinances. And then starting in verse 8, we have truth. And we have the fact that the Book of Mormon has restored truth. The Book of Mormon, verse 11, proves what? The Book of Mormon proves and that we do have prophets. The Book of Mormon proves that we do have prophets. So, so many things, we could could take this in so many different directions. What I wanna do tonight is I wanna just talk a little bit about, because we have a church, we have a prophet. I think one of the major themes of the Restoration is learning to follow a prophet. And that is very hard and very complicated. Let me see if I can point out kind of a trend. There are some people, it's kind of like a pendulum that swings, way over here on this side of the pendulum there are what I call the, now I don't wanna, that's not my word. What's my word? Why am I drawing a blank? The ignorant optimists who think, because we're led by a prophet, that everything is perfect. That prophets are perfect. And that the church they organize are perfect. And they just kind of have this ignorant, everything's just perfect. And they will just hold to their guns and that the prophet is absolutely perfect, that prophets don't make mistakes, that there's nothing wrong, that there's nothing broken, that church history is perfect, and they just kinda hold that position. And if any of them are in this room, you're going to struggle. They hold to the ideal. And they see nothing but perfection. This is kind of like the creation. And everything was just pristine. The problem is, the history of this church will reveal what reality. And anyone who watches long enough will realize that no human including a prophet, is in any way perfect. If the history of Joseph Smith teaches one thing, it's that Joseph was a human being. Um, I collect the Joseph Smith Papers documents that come out. They're up to number 13. And every time they come out, I just, I, I, I gotta get my hands on it. Joseph Smith Papers documents 13 basically centers on an event that occurred in Nauvoo. Joseph Smith, there was a tax collector in Nauvoo who was a horrible human being. And he just abused his office as tax collector. And one day Joseph could stand it no more. He just couldn't stand what this man was doing and he just decked him. He just punched him. Joseph Smith just punched him. Then he walked into the mayor's office and paid the fine for assault. Now, The ripple effect from that is going to lead to his martyrdom. Joseph Smith was a human. Russell Nelson is a human. He's a doctor who thinks people in pandemics should get immunized. And oh, my goodness. The outcry of that was enormous. And because of that, the pendulum sometimes swings all the way over here to the what I call the disillusioned. Help me spell it. Disill. How about we abbreviate the disillusioned pessimist? The disillusioned pessimist. You all know them, right? As soon as they discover the real, the practical, they give everything up. And the prophet goes from perfect to there are no prophets. And everything's false. And they walk away from everything. Because they're aware of real human problems, real humans doing human mortal things. And it shakes their innocent faith, and then they rush all the way over and become disillusioned pessimists, and they end up just walking away because they just can't deal with that. This history, the church's history, is full of human beings doing human things. And if you're not ready for that. In the day of the Internet, this is causing a lot of people to feel betrayed, disillusioned, and they walk away. I know someone who came home from his mission and left the church because he discovered in the mission field that Joseph Smith put his head into a hat to translate the Book of Mormon. And I had never seen a single picture of that in my whole life. Therefore, the church is deceiving me. Now, did Joseph Smith use a hat to translate the Book of Mormon? Yeah. Does it mean he wasn't a prophet because no one drew a picture of that when you were a kid in primary? But do you see the tendency to go from ignorant optimist to disillusioned pessimist? So may I suggest, before we even get into this conversation, is that we need to find a neutral ground. And this neutral ground is open eye, open eyes, open heart, open understanding. I know there is something unique and special about prophets. They are not ordinary people but I know they are not perfect. I do not expect them to be perfect. I do not expect the church they organize to be perfect. I don't expect them to be any more perfect than I am, which is one of my favorite things that Joseph Smith said. He said, let me read his own words. Come on. Sorry, our internet's really slow. This is coming. He said he was but a man and they must not expect him to be perfect. If they expected perfection from him, then he should expect it from them. But if they would bear with his infirmities and and the infirmities of the brethren, he would likewise bear with their infirmities. I don't expect him to be any more perfect than I am. He is a human being. Do you see that open eyes, open heart? If I were to, can I share an example? Simon's rider. Simon's rider received a mission call. And Joseph Smith misspelled his name. He misspelled his name on his mission call. Now, can you guess what conclusion he came to with a misspelled name? What was his expectation? Well, if he's a prophet, then he knows everything, and he knows how to spell my name. If if he's inspired to name the location I'm going to, he should be inspired to write my name correctly. Do you see the ignorant optimism there? Is it true? that Joseph Smith receives everything from God, including how to spell someone's name? So when Joseph miswrote his name, he wrote his name on his mission call wrong, what did he do? He went from ignorant optimist to disillusioned pessimist and participated in the tarring and feathering of Joseph Smith. He was one of the ones that tarred and feathered Joseph because he just blew it. Well, if Joseph Smith can't spell my name right, then clearly he's not inspired to call me on a mission. Do you see the balance we've got to find? Can I tell you one of my absolute favorite things? My patriarchal blessing. The patriarch misspelled my name. I love that. It does not diminish from the revelation he received in one bit. Can you be a patriarch, misspell a guy's name, and still be inspired to say some wonderful things that come from heaven? That's open eyes, open heart. So when we talk about prophet, we need to just understand, we can't be this everything's perfect. We have a prophet and he's gonna speak and everything's just gonna be perfect but we also can't be disillusioned pessimists because there is something divine. Somewhere between the ideal and the real is the open heart, open mind. For the rest of this class, as we talk about church history, there are very many opportunities where people are going to see the humanness. Plural marriage, race in the priesthood, There are going to be moments where people who think that the prophet is a fax machine that receives everything from heaven are really going to struggle. But if we can find that middle ground between open eyes, open heart, I recognize that there's a human element here. I'm going to find peace here. I'm going to find direction. Thoughts, comments about that? Let me show you an intriguing balance to that in section 21. Now go to section 21 and look at the date it was given. What was the date section one was given? Section 21, not one, section 21. April 6th, why is that date significant? Okay, this revelation wasn't just received on the same day. This revelation was received in the middle of the meeting. Tell me the Lord isn't a little dramatic. In the middle of the meeting, Joseph receives a revelation. Talk about waving your arms and getting the church's attention, right? And what does the Lord call him? I, I, I love the term prophet. But uh, the, the term the Lord uses from the very beginning, what does the Lord call him in 21? 21. Of all the titles, the Lord calls him a seer. He calls Joseph a seer. And then he gives instructions. Verse 4, meaning the church, thou shalt give heed to all his words and commandments which he shall give unto you as he receiveth them, walking in all wholeness before me. For his words ye shall receive as if from mine own mouth. That's a little bit on this side, right? A little bit on the ideal. You receive the prophet's words as if they're from my own mouth. And then what does he add? In all patience and faith. There's lots of reasons why I need patience and faith to receive a prophet's words. And I think one of the suggestions we need to understand is that prophets are human beings. And we need to have patience and faith with that concept. Now there's another reason that we'll get to, but I just I don't wanna have this discussion until we talk about the balance. And if any of you kind of lean towards the innocent or ignorant optimists and you just think everything, you're gonna find out some things about church history and about human beings, and I don't want it to shake your faith. Gordon B. Hinckley bought forged documents. Gordon B. Hinckley bought forged documents. Paid a million bucks for it. Can prophets make mistakes and buy forged documents? Does the Lord allow that? Does he allow us to do things and make mistakes and learn from our own lessons? Does, it make, does that mean when he stands up in general conference and says, thus saith the Lord, he's, he can't say that? Do you see that balance? But if any of you have come all the way over here and just brushed them off and say, no one's perfect, no one's divine, that prof- I'm, I'm deceived and the church has been deceiving me all this time, I'm gonna shake your faith too. Because there is something about prophets that you need to understand, especially as we move forward in the latter days. So is that a decent opening to this conversation that we can all say, look, I'm I'm not going to be an ignorant optimist and just assume everything's perfect. And I'm not going to be a pessimist and ignore divine things that God does, in fact, inspire prophets. But I know they're not perfect. Is that helpful before we jump into it? Okay, there were a couple hands. Where were they?
1: Um, I can't help but think of my cousin who left the church kind of with the same thing. Um, And he tried to get me to leave right before our mission. Um, And he shared a lot of stuff like this. And just like things that would make you convert to the other side. Yep. Um, His biggest thing was if the prophet's saying... These specific things kind of against his beliefs, then exactly like you said, you just throw everything out.
0: It is causing a lot of people to question.
1: Because yeah, he's like, if, if what he's saying is going to hurt people, then I don't think that that's real. And I just can't help but think well, if that's the definition, if like a prophet can't hurt anybody can't say anything that will ever cause anybody grief or pain then where does the line can apostles can 70s can state presidents can,
0: can savior, the sa- can a savior
1: can missionaries mislead their people and pro- prolong the time that they receive the gospel decades yeah absolutely all of us have the opportunity to do that and that's not fair to assume that there's any point where we're suddenly just like oh yep you're good As soon as you get a new
0: calling. Yeah. It's that messiness. As soon as we start talking about the church, we need to talk about a human messiness. A divine and a messiness all at the same time. Because he's all the way over here, but is there very legitimate truths? Is Is there something to the ideal that they need to understand? And is there something to the real that they need to understand? Do you see that balance, I Caitlin? Think that this is
1: probably where like the fall of Adam comes in, because like the scriptures say, like the natural man is the enemy to God, and so if Adam had never fallen, then we would still be living in a state of perfection, which would allow for that to happen. because of the fall,
2: that allows us to make mistakes, and so then I guess the horns would be.
1: You have to realize that, yes, everyone makes mistakes, but through the atonement, that's how you
0: become closer to trying to become an ideal. Yeah. I love that. I love that this is kind of the creation, right? Everything's pristine. And then this is everything's broken. And yet, what's the crowning doctrine? Aton- there'd be a no atonement without a fall. There'd be no atonement without creation. And we don't live in a pristine world where everything's perfect, but we can overcome all the broken things because of an atonement. So there's kind of the balance. I like what Wilford, Wilford says, and this is in the official declaration, uh, first one. Um, Not lead you, yeah, go ahead, read it. Yeah, no, I, I love it, because I, lo- I love the assurance
2: that it gives, where he says, the Lord will never- he or any other man who stands as president of his church to lead you astray. I go on to say, if I were to attempt that, the Lord would remove me out of my place, and so he will any other man who attempts to lead the children of men astray yeah. of God from their duty. So again, the prophet is very much entitled to his own opinions
0: when it comes to politics and, you know... Immunizations and... Whether or not a man's wife passes away and he should or shouldn't marry someone else. And boy, we we as a church have done so we've been so much dart throwing because of that assumption. And what your brother, is it your brother? Cousin. What your cousin, almost everything that they're saying is, has this assumption that because we have a prophet, he should be perfect. If he's not perfect, then we don't have a prophet. And it's some combination of that. Joseph Smith was brought some fake plates. Someone wanted to fool him, and so they kind of made some plates that looked like they were dug up and they were fake. It was a complete fraud. But they had written some characters on it that were like the characters Joseph saw on the gold plates. So they showed him the plates. He looked at them and said, hmm, that looks familiar. It looks like it's, and he spouted off something. And he never got back to it. He never ever translated it, he never got back. But because he looked at it and was intrigued, everyone's concluding, well, Joseph's a fraud. It was a complete fraud and he fell for it. No, if you really look at it, he saw some things on that fake plate that matched some of the characters of the gold plates. So he was intrigued. And that's it. Can he be intrigued by a fraud and still be a prophet? Can Gordon B Hinckley buy fraudulent documents and still be a prophet? We've got to find this middle ground where I understand there's something to this and there's something to this. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with the messiness. Let me just give you one more thought before we jump into the doctrine of prophets. Do you or do you not believe Alma 2, or 2 Nephi 2, 11, that says there must be opposition? What does it say next? There must be opposition in all things. Their only way we have agency is if there is opposition in all things. How about evidence of truth? Do you believe there must be opposition in evidence of truth? See, sometimes Latter-day Saints expect the scale to tip that it's so obvious. That there's no evidence that it's false. There's no evidence that the Book of Mormon is false. There's no evidence that Joseph Smith wasn't a prophet. There's no evidence that Jesus isn't the Messiah. The evidence is so overwhelmingly obvious that this is what they assume. Now, would we have agency under that circumstance? If if God made it so compelling, so intellectually obvious that we were compelled to believe it, do we have agency? No. So the reality is in almost every, in every aspect, even when it comes to Christ, is there significant evidence for? Is there significant evidence against? Yes or no? In all things, you will always find significant evidence for, and against there is no ruin in South America or anywhere that's definitively going to prove that the Book of Mormon existed and there is no ruin anywhere in this world that's definitively going to prove that it didn't the Lord doesn't operate that way could Jesus have made it so intellectually obvious that he was the Messiah that no one could reject him yes why did he not There is no agency there. Were there people who had legitimate evidence that he was not the Christ? Yes. That is the situation we will always find ourselves in. And sometimes the ignorant optimists are really shaken when they come across evidence against. But don't be. We have to get to that neutral ground where it comes to open eyes, open understanding, open heart. A prophet is not normal, but a prophet is normal at the same time.
2: So there's been um, multiple times in my life where my faith was under major attack and highly shaken, and there's times that I was getting ready to wash my hands at the church, and my faith, my, my faith and my testimony, and to just let it all fall apart, and it's happened a few times throughout
0: my life. Hold on, let me pause. Those were very legitimate things, weren't they? Oh, they, oh, they were so compelling. They were very compelling, oh, legitimate gosh. things. Not fairy tales, not, I'm totally, no, these are very compelling things. Oh. Reasons to stay, reasons to leave, and keep going. Um, Every single
2: time, if there were some of those times that I started to take steps away in my heart and truly make plans to quit the church or even worse, resign my membership, and um, that I was tempted to do that, as soon as I started to make those thoughts and start to follow that pattern, there was this darkness that encompassed me. There was this just confusion and darkness and evil. And it, even if it wasn't pure evil, it was very discernible that I was going into chaos in my mind. Everything just started to unravel. And I and that's where right where I recognized it. And I said, you know what? That's not the path for me. Yeah. That's not the path to go down. That's just going to lead me to more darkness.
0: And if it starts here, where does it end? Where does the spiral end at the bottom? Great description. And when I, when I did that,
2: I said there's only two options, and I know that. There is either light or dark. There's yeah. either up or down. There's either Christ or the devil, and I can't keep going down this path. It's too scary.
0: Yeah. Now, can I, can, do you see why we've taken this approach? What has to come before this? this. This connection will make this one balanced. If I have connected with him, if I can recognize truth and light, when I can recognize that I'm moving in a a direction that's pleasing to him or not pleasing to him, then I can handle a lot of these issues a lot differently. And it's
2: safe safe for us. It's safe for your spirit. It's safe even for your for your body and
0: soul, Yeah. and um, I love how Elder Holland said, doubt your doubts before you doubt your faith. Right, but recognize I am not an innocent, I'm not an ignorant, I'm not looking at this through rose-colored glasses. I recognize that there's messiness in all of this. There is human messiness in all of this. Can I give you an example of human messiness? One of my abs, one of my favorites, besides the fact that the patriarch misspelled my name, can you turn to Alma chapter 39? Can I show you something fun? This makes me smile. Now this, I can see someone actually walking away from the church because of it. If they don't have a grounded understanding of the balance Alma chapter 39. Ready? Look at verse 13. Let me give you an example of the humanness, the messiness of humans doing God's divine work. All right, verse 13 reads, remember, this is where Corianton has committed a sexual sin as a missionary, and and Alma's correcting him. He taught him how serious sexual sins are. Then in verse 13, he says that ye turn... To the Lord with all your might, mind, and strength, that ye lead away the hearts of no the that, that ye lead away the hearts of no more to do wickedly, but rather return unto them and acknowledge your faults and that wrong which ye have done. That's how it shows in our our our, our scriptures. In the original manuscript the way Joseph translated, coming from God to Joseph, what he said in his mouth was, repair that wrong. So instead of it says, and acknowledge your faults and repair that wrong. So let me read that again. Return unto them, acknowledge your faults and repair that wrong. That's what Joseph said, divinely inspired. Now, Martin, or Oliver Cowdery wrote repair like this. Now, how would they make a P? Like that, right? They do the high level P, A-I-R, repair. Then Oliver spilled ink and the ink spilled like that. So when he made the printer's manuscript and he looked at that word, he didn't see repair, he saw retain. Now, that doesn't make sense. The first edition of the Book of Mormon said Acknowledge your faults and retain that wrong which you have done. Retain that wrong. Well, that's not right. You don't retain a wrong, right? So in 1920, James E. Talmage said, this is not right. This is not correct doctrine. And so what did they do? What does it do in your scriptures? What, 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 did, what did they do? They just took it out. They just took it out. We don't retain the wrong. And it wasn't until a brilliant scholar found the original manuscript and the printer's manuscript and saw what happened. It originally said, repair that wrong. But a little bit of spilled ink turned it into retain that wrong. And then another prophet said, let's just take it out. Now, Is the Book of Mormon inspired from heaven? Is it divine truth? And yet, is there a human element that might make it a little messy? Do you see the balance you've gotta find? You will find human elements all throughout this work. Now that being said, I want to talk about the doctrine of a prophet. I wanted to give this balance because I know prophets aren't perfect, but there is something. And so having had that discussion, allow me to teach from the scriptures the role of a prophet and that you will never be prepared for the coming of the Savior without A prophet so turn with me to Moses chapter 6 understanding their humanness understanding that they're not perfect and they do make mistakes but what is it about a prophet what is this ideal that I don't want to take too far but I do need to acknowledge Let's go to verse 30, or 27, Moses 6, 27. What does, Moses, what does the Lord declare is broken with human beings? What does God say is broken with his children? Verse 27, we are broken how? Our eyes, our hearts have waxed hard. Our ears are dull of hearing. And the last one? Our eyes cannot see afar off. The biggest problem with Heavenly Father's children is we don't see very far. And because we don't see very far, he provides a prophet. Now look at verse 36. Tell me what makes a man a prophet. Verse 35, the Lord spake unto Enoch and said, anoint thine eyes with clay and wash them and thou shalt see. The symbolism is that prophets have washed the world out of their eyes and they see. In verse 36, tell me what prophets see. I'm going to make this list over here. I don't want to because this is a little out of balance. Let me erase this balance concept and let's write. What do prophets see? Okay, but keep going. Things not visible to the natural eye. In other words, my eyes don't see afar off, but prophets do, and what they see are things not visible to my eyes. They see what I don't. Now, because of that, Caitlin. I've always kind of loved the story of like the prophets being the
1: watchman on the tower. Yep. That kind of gives me the impression that like we're like like, there you go, like, we're in, like, the marketplace, and they're on the tower, and they, we're not up there with them. They can see things that we can't. They can see over the wall. So, that kind of goes along with, they've washed their eyes. They can see it past the wall of mortality, and can see
0: things that we in our market practice. That's the image. And if they see, their job then would to be a see-er, right? And if we Combine that word into one, what would we call that person? A seer. Now, that's why I love that the Lord called Joseph initially a seer. His job isn't really to prophesy. I don't think the main thing Russell Nelson does is prophesy. I get people write to me, apostates write to me all the time, say, what is your prophet predicted? What does he prophet prophesy? as if the role of the prophet is to predict the future and to prophesy, but the role of the prophet is to see danger where I don't see danger. They see what I don't see. Now turn to the Book of Mormon version, go to Mosiah chapter eight, tell me what prophets see. So Mosiah chapter eight, here's the background. Do you remember where Limhi, uh, Ammon finds Limhi? So King Mosiah is worried about the group that went with Zenith, and he sends a rescue group, and Ammon, not the chop-off arms Ammon, totally different Ammon, Ammon finds Limhi. And Limhi says, hey, we found these gold plates. Is there anyone back home that can translate them? Is there anyone that can translate gold plates? So verse 13, Mosiah 8, Ammon says, I can assuredly tell thee, O king, of a man that can translate the records. For he has wherewith that he can look and translate all records that are of ancient date and it is a gift of god and the things are called interpreters so did the book of mormon prophets have the urim and thummim yes they did and no man can look in them except he be commanded. now last sentence of verse 13 if you have a urim and thummim then you are called a seer now limhi bless his heart says what in verse 13. Well, I'd rather have a seer than a prophet, and I would too. And Ammon corrects him by saying what in 16? It's all the same, prophet, seer, and reveling. I don't know why prophet's stuck in our dispensation, but Russell Nelson is a seer. He is a seer. And there is something divine in the fact that he sees things. He doesn't see everything. He can misspell my name, but he sees what I don't see. Now, verse 17. Tell me what prophets see. Go slowly so I can write them. Number one. Okay, prophets see the past. Number two. The future. But watch how he really doesn't emphasize those. Notice what he does next. He basically takes one idea and repeats it, saying, saying it different ways. So give me the list. Prophets see secret things. Prophets see secrets. And then, as if he doesn't want us to mistake that, give me the rest of the list. Secret things. Hidden things. Sorry, I'm not spelling well. Hidden things. Prophets see secret things. Prophets see hidden things. Prophets see things which not known. In fact, prophets see things which. What's the last one? Can't be known. Not known and can't be known. So tell me what concept does the Lord emphasize? That they predict the future? Is that the concept of a prophet that the Lord seems to emphasize? That they predict the future? No, what is it that we need, why do we need a seer? Because they see secret things, they see hidden things. They see things that no one knows and no one can know. And that's why I need a prophet. They see. And I don't believe they see everything, but what they see is significant. And so their job is to warn me. Now, because I don't see it, it's easy to disagree with a prophet. Now, here's the problem with a prophet who sees something that I don't see. Turn to section 101, Doctrine and Covenants 101, verses 7 and 8. Tell me, in what day do prophets speak? When do prophets speak? Let's read 7 and 8. Anyone want to read that? Now, this is, we're going <clears> to, <throat> well, maybe we ought to stick with this one. Section 101 is the explanation as to why the Jackson County Saints got kicked off their land. Let's read it. Let's stay there. Okay, let's come back and do seven and eight, but jump forward to verse, sorry, let me get there. 101 is why the Jackson County Saints got kicked off their land. And the Lord says, look, let me give you a parable. Verse 43, I will show unto you a parable that you may know my will concerning the redemption of Zion. A certain nobleman had a spot of land, very choice, and he said to his servants, Go into the vineyard, even unto this very choice piece of land, and plant 12 olive trees. That's Zion. That's Jackson County. That's the city we're going to build someday. We'll talk a lot about that city in this class. And set watchmen. Where? Where do you set the watchmen? Round about on the ground set watchmen round about on the ground and then build a tower that one may overlook the land and be a watch. That's singular. This church is full of watch people on the ground and we have one watchman up on the tower. And so he'll be a watchman on the tower that mine olive trees might not be broken down. What's the next word? Not if, when, when the enemy comes. He's coming, not if, when. So what happened? What happened in Jackson County? The servants of the noblemen went and did as their Lord commanded and they planted the olive tree and they built a hedge round about and they set watch men and began to build a tower and then they began to question, what need hath my Lord of this tower? What need hath my Lord of this tower? For there's no need in these things. And they, they were at variance one with another and very slothful. And that's when the enemy came and broke them down. Verse 52. Now the nobleman, the Lord of the vineyard, called upon his servants and said, Why? What is the cause of this great evil? Ought you not to have done even as I commanded? And after you planted the vineyard and built the hedge round about and set watchmen, and built the tower and set a watchman upon the tower and watched for my vineyard and not have fallen asleep. Now look at verse fifty-four and think back to Moses six. If they had built a tower, what would the watchmen have done? He would have seen the enemy when he was afar off. Now we have a problem because I don't see what he sees and he sees an enemy afar off. Now go back to verse seven. Tell me in what time period do prophets speak? In what time period? That's described in seven and eight. Let's read it. Who wants to read seven and eight? Speaking of Jackson County and what really happened there, Jay, would you read seven and eight?
1: They were slow to hearken unto the voice of the Lord, their God.
2: Therefore, the Lord, their God, is slow to hearken unto their prayers to answer them in the day
0: of their trouble. In the day of their peace, they esteem lightly my counsel. But in the day of their trouble, of necessity, they fill after me. So there's a day of peace. And there's a day of trouble. Tell me when prophets speak. Tell me when prophets speak. They speak in the day of peace. And what's the problem? I don't see. I don't, I'm not concerned. Do prophets speak in the day of trouble? It's too late. It's too late. I can't help you. I can't help you anymore. There was a time when I helped you. For example, when did Noah tell them to get on the boat? How many days before the rain started did they get on the boat? Seven days, when the rain got really bad, could they get on the boat? It's too late. I can't board the boat right now. And therein is the problem. Prophets speak in a day of peace. Let me show that to you in what happened in America. Turn with me to Samuel the Lamanite up on the wall. Helaman chapter 13, Samuel gave a fascinating prophecy in third in Nephi, so go to the Book of Mormon. Helaman 13 Samuel predicted let's start in verse 12 what was the city on what wall on whose walls was Samuel standing Zarahemla's so he says in verse 12 "Woe unto this great city Zarahemla for behold it is because of those who are righteous that it is saved And woe unto this great city, for I perceive, saith the Lord, that there are many, yea, many, even more part of this great city, that will harden their hearts against me, saith the Lord. But blessed are you, they who repent, for them I will spare. But if it were not for the righteous who were in this city, I would cause that interesting prophecy. If it weren't for the righteous, what would happen to Zarahemla? Fire should come and destroy it, but for the sake of the righteous, I won't. Now turn to 3rd Nephi chapter 8, verse 8, and tell me what happened. 3rd Nephi chapter 8, verse 8 says, just like he predicted that Zarahemla would take fire. So what happened? Samuel the Lamanite says, it's because of the righteous that I'm not burning you all down, and then he burns them all down. So either the righteous turned wicked or the righteous left. Turn to chapter 10, and let's see if we can figure out which one that was. Chapter 10, verse 12, speaking to the people who survived the destruction of Third Nephi, he says... You survived because you were more righteous. And then he specifically says what? You survived because you received the prophets. So what happened in Zarahemla? Someday a prophet showed up and said, get out of town. How much fire was present when the prophet said, get out of town? None. There was no fire. If you leave Jerusalem when you see fire, do you get out? Sorry, Zarahemla. If you leave Zarahemla when you see fire, do you get out? So therein is the doctrine of prophetic insight. They see. Are they perfect? No. But they see. And it's not so much the future they see as it's the secret hidden things of life that they see. They see danger. But when they speak, they speak in what day? A day of peace. Do you see, you gotta be smart enough to recognize when a seer is saying, do this, get out of Zarahemla. Because if you wait for the fire, you won't get out of Zarahemla. Do you see why we need a prophet? So, name one thing that you think President Nelson is speaking in the day of peace. That it will be too late in the day of trouble to suddenly take action on. Rachel? Personal revelation or testimony? He said, it will not be possible in the days ahead to survive without your ability to receive personal revelation. Can you, in that day, all of a sudden establish personal revelation? If you didn't do it in the day of peace, you are in trouble in the day of trouble. Now, why is President Nelson saying that? He sees something. I don't see what he sees. But he sees something, and he's saying... You need to learn how to receive personal revelation. He's taking us back to which circle? He's taking us back to the first circle. Give me another one. Tell me something, is that what everyone was gonna say? What else is a prophet saying in a day of peace that someday we will recognize saved us in the day of trouble? And he says, I I I I ask you to do the spiritual work necessary to increase your capacity. Do the work necessary to increase your capacity. Do you see why we have prophets? And what we should be doing now, are they perfect I get it. I wanted to begin with the beginning because church history is full of the human messiness, but there are prophets, seers, and revelators in the land, and they see things in a day of peace that it is going to be absolutely crucial someday we heard in the day of peace, please. I was going to say also, um, are told. Yep. A whole shift to the home, right? Was this church prepared for a pandemic? When did we start to shift to home-based church? Fascinating, isn't it? And now all of a sudden, that need is gonna continue. Home-based church supported. Do you see the role the prophet's gonna play? Now that in mind, can I give you an absolute promise? I have been a seminary institute teacher for 30 years. Uh, For most of my career, especially with high school students, I would begin every single class. Is there anything you guys wanna talk about today? If not, we'll jump into our scripture block. I would start every single class. Is there anything you guys wanna talk about today? In 30 years, guess which question I have never once been asked. Can you tell us about the second coming? Not once, not even close. No one has asked about the second coming. And that intrigues me because you would think a group of high school and college students would want to know about the second coming, but no one has ever asked. I thought about that for a long time and I came to a conclusion. I asked myself, why is it that no one is asking about the second coming? Then I started to ask my students, how come you don't ever ask me about the second coming? And one person was brave enough to say what I think the answer is. I don't wanna know. It scares me. Most people are terrified of the days ahead. Let me illustrate. Let's suppose I could go back in time to 1950 and describe our life to a group of people in 1950. What would happen if I described our everyday life? What if I told them about the pandemic, the price of milk, the price of gas? We had a black president, the price of eggs. Donald Trump was president. If I were to describe our everyday life, What if I were to just take a tape recorder and walk down the halls of a current middle school and then go back in time and say, this is what's heard in middle school. Or if I were to take some magazines or some movies, here's what we watch today. What would our modern day movies do to the 1950s? Wouldn't they be absolutely terrified to live in our day? And yet I don't know very many people who would honestly go back and live in the 50s. Until you need your phone, right? (laughs) Until I need a life-changing procedure that wasn't available in the 50s. The reality is you navigate your life just fine, don't you? You have found a way to be happy in a day that terrified them. So can I give you a promise? If you understand the role of a seer, if you get that they speak in the day of peace and are preparing for that, then let me tell you, there is absolutely nothing to come that you need to worry about. There's absolutely nothing about the future that you need to be worried. Turn to section 29 of the Doctrine and Covenants. Now, when we study section 29, I know a lot of people who jump to like verse 16. Tell me about verse 16. And what emotion would you associate with verse 16? Or verse 18, the flies and the maggots. Verse 16 says, a great hell storm is coming that will destroy the crops of the earth. Oh, great. Long before you read verse 16, you have to read verse 8. Put bells and whistles around verse 8. Wherefore the decree hath gone out from the Father that they shall be gathered in unto one place. That's the city that we're going to build. We'll talk about that wonderful city coming up. They shall be gathered into one place upon the face of this land to prepare their hearts and, ready, memorize this phrase. If you know how to follow a prophet, you will be prepared in all things against the day when tribulation and desolation are sent forth upon the wicked. You will be prepared in all things. You don't need to worry. Let it come. It will be awesome. You will be happy. Your grandchildren will be happy. Your great grandchildren will be happy. There's nothing but wonderful things ahead. You will be warned. You will be capable. Everything's going to be great. We are led by a prophet who sees the danger. Recognize the humanness of that, but recognize the divinity there is something ideal we are led by prophets who see learn to follow in the day of peace and you will be prepared in all things that is my absolute witness can i give you someone else's Do you remember when Nephi was told he's going to see the end of the world? He saw our day. He saw saw the pilgrims. He saw Columbus. He saw the Revolutionary War. And then he kept seeing into the future, right? And then the Lord says, hey, I'm going to show you the rest, but don't write it. Who's going to write it? John's going to write it. You, Nephi, is not going to. But true or false, Nephi saw the end of the world. True or false, he didn't write about it but it didn't stop him from making a few commentaries. I can't write about it, but I can comment on it. So go to 1 Nephi 22, go to 1 Nephi 22, and you find Nephi saying, look, I can't tell you what's gonna happen, but I'm gonna make a few comments. Like one thing that really struck him, we think that the end of the world, good finally beats evil. We think that's how the world ends. It's going to end because good is finally going to rise up and beat evil. Nephi says, no, that's not how I've seen the end. And that's not how it ends. Verse 13. How does it end? It's not good that defeats evil. First Nephi twenty two thirteen. 13. What does he see? I've seen the end. And I'll tell you, it's not good defeats evil. It's evil defeats evil. Evil destroys evil. That's how it ends. Now, go to verse 17, hear this. I have not seen the end, so I can testify in faith that you're gonna be just fine. Nephi saw the end and he's saying, look, I can't tell you. The Lord told me not to write about it. I can't tell you what happens, but what can I tell you? Look at 17, 19, 20, 22. I can't tell you how it ends, but what can I tell you? The righteous need not fear. The righteous won't perish. The Lord will prepare a way for his people. I can't tell you how it ends, but what I can tell you is you're gonna be just fine. Find Christ. Know the truth and follow a prophet and you're gonna be just fine. That's from someone who saw the end. So, thank goodness we have a restored church and thank goodness we have prophets, seers and revelators. Don't be innocent, don't be naive into thinking that means they're perfect. Don't be pessimistic because they've made mistakes into thinking they don't see. They are human and they do see. And what they see is danger coming. So I need to listen. Now putting them as a group, let me just leave you with this last thought. If you were a prophet and you saw danger coming, how would you warn? How would you warn people? Would you post on social media? Okay, that's one way. What if you really wanted to warn loudly? What would you do? I'd give a general conference talk. What if you wanted to yell louder than that? What if you saw danger coming and you wanted to yell with the loudest voice you possibly could? What would be louder than a conference talk? A proclamation we as a group would send out a proclamation. And then I would ask every young single adult to take a class on that proclamation. What is the greatest danger they see coming? The disintegration of the family. That is what seers have been saying for decades. Don't let your family disintegrate. That's the danger they see coming. Bear you my witness, I am grateful to live in a day with prophets, seers, and revelators who see. I understand the messiness of human beings. I'm one of them. I am grateful for human beings. I love Joseph more than I could possibly express. I have spent my life studying that man's words and everything that he did. I'm grateful that he got ticked off and punched a guy in the face. But I am grateful for his humanness. I'm grateful for the messiness of his humanness. I testify that they see. And if you will listen, you will be prepared in the day of trouble. I say that in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.